for over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. I feel like magic. It's like a dive into the mysterious force of being where you dance with it and move with it and work with it. From Crooked Media, this is Unholier Than Thou. I'm your host, Philip Picardi. For the past few weeks, we've been pretty focused here on keeping you informed about the upcoming election and the Supreme Court confirmation hearings. And while it's so important to stay on top of the monstrosities of 2020, it's also important to take a damn break once in a while, you know? So this week, we're doing just that. We are taking a break from all of the Trump bullshit. This week, we're focused instead on Halloween. And what better way to do so than dedicating this episode to the witches? But instead of the witches you may see in the typical Halloween movies, I have put a spell on you, and now you're gone. My granny fell on you, and it was strong. We're bringing you actual witches. We have a whole slate of guests today who are going to explain everything from hexes to binding spells. But first, let's start with some basic facts about witches and debunking the myths you may have been taught about them. For that, I'm honored to have Sabina Malioko, a scholar who's an expert in witchcraft and folklore. Sabina, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Philip. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. So I'm curious, how do you define witch and what does that word really mean? Well, the word witch has a number of different definitions, and those definitions are contextual. So let me talk briefly about three types of definitions of the word witch. The first type I'm going to talk about is the anthropological definition of witch. For anthropologists, witchcraft is a belief system in which certain people are thought to have the power to hurt others through spiritual or supernatural means. Um, The belief in witchcraft is very widespread. It occurs in all kinds of different societies. And usually there are methods built into the society to control witches. Then there's the religious definition of witchcraft. And this is the definition that you find, for example, in religions such as Catholicism and other brands of Christianity. During the Middle Ages, not only were witches able to harm others supernaturally, but they were in league with the devil and engaging in a conspiracy to overthrow Christianity. So this diabolical definition of witchcraft is probably the one that you grew up with if you grew up Catholic. Yes, exactly. That's what I thought, that witches are the bride of Satan. So this belief system, we can find it in any area in which there are Christians in the world. And the final definition of witchcraft that I'm going to talk about is the modern pagan definition of witchcraft. So modern pagan witchcraft or Wicca is a religion in which people see the world as sacred 
and see everything in the world as imbued with divinity and meaning. Modern witches are polytheistic. They worship multiple goddesses and gods, but especially goddesses. There's a lot of focus on the divine feminine. Uh, and this modern religion was essentially created in the mid-20th century by a British civil servant named Gerald Gardner. A man. A man, exactly. He worked with newer interpretations of witchcraft and created this ritual system, which then diffused widely throughout the English-speaking world, throughout the Western world in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, uh, and is now one of the fastest-growing new religious movements in the world. That's so fascinating. So how was Gardner able to kind of assemble this modern witchcraft known as Wicca? By the time that Gardner was practicing in uh, England, in the period, I would say, after World War II, uh, he had a number of things at his disposal. The first was a new interpretation of witches. The idea that the people who were persecuted for witchcraft during the early modern period, the Middle Ages and the early modern period, were people who had preserved practices of an ancient pre-Christian religion. And when medieval inquisitors came across these unusual practices, they could only understand them as diabolical witchcraft, and therefore they persecuted these people. Now, there's not a whole lot of truth to this. There's a number of problems with this. First of all, we don't have any evidence of the continuous practice of anything since Neolithic times. That's a big stretch. That's a big question. The second problem is that now that we have a lot of evidence from the trials, uh, the witch trials during the Middle Ages and the early modern period, we know that witch persecutions didn't just focus on people with unusual beliefs. There are a few cases like that, but the majority of cases were really neighborly disputes. Many of the victims were women because women were very vulnerable, women without the protection of fathers, sons, or husbands were economically vulnerable. Nonetheless, in the early 1900s, when Gardner was a young man, that explanation was popular. And so he was inspired by this explanation. And finally, Gardner had spent much of his life in Indonesia, where he hung out with a lot of the indigenous people of Indonesia who had religious practices that were very different from the ones that Gardner had known as a young man growing up in England. And so these are some of the elements that Gardner brought together, along with a long tradition of European uh, Western magic. He kind of cooked all of these elements up together and created Wicca or modern pagan witchcraft. Now, the 1950s are a time of immense conformity, especially, you know, the reinforcement of gender roles and stereotypes for women. I'm wondering, with witchcraft being born, or, or Wicca being born more specifically at this time, do you think that there was maybe a political interest for a lot of these women to defy the conventions of society that they felt they were being pushed into? Remember, Wicca is really small at the beginning of the 1950s. There's just a few covens practicing in England. But certainly the women who were practicing with Gerald Gardner were quite eccentric. 
They were very nonconformist, as was Gardner himself. And, you know, actually, it's funny because in general, uh, the stereotype holds. The types of people who get uh, attracted to modern pagan witchcraft are often intelligent, uh, nonconformist, geeky people who are in the sciences and the arts. I'm wondering about the relationship that Wicca plays to this more traditional idea of witchcraft and the history of witchcraft. Maybe that of being intertwined with midwifery, herbal healing, you know, worship of nature remedies. And, you know, a lot of women essentially helping other women have autonomy of their own bodies and the feminist roots, of course, of that. Mm -hmm. Do you see that often in your research? And do you feel like modern Wicca is connected to those maybe more feminist historical roots? That feminist thread is strong in many branches of modern pagan witchcraft. There, there are many denominations of modern Wicca. It's not just Gardner's Wicca anymore. During the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, I mean, even today, there are new branches of Wicca and modern witchcraft that are forming all the time because there's no central authority. But uh, there's a very strong feminist influence that entered into modern craft during uh, second wave feminism in the late 1960s and early 70s. And that was all about women reclaiming their power. And that's still very strong. That was second wave feminism. And both second wave feminism and environmentalism and the civil rights movement had a huge impact on the way that modern craft is practiced, especially in North America. So it, it really went from this small group esoteric religion focused on these uh, magical rites to a much more political movement that embraced feminism and environmentalism as some of its main core tenets. That's fascinating because I recently read the rise in witchcraft in the United States has been linked to a decrease in trust of establishment ideas and also the increase in social instability. But of course, we've encountered this year, right? Yeah. So this is historical. People are coming and embracing the ideas of witchcraft at times when the government and certainly society seems to be failing them. Generally, people are attracted to magic and witchcraft when they feel that they do not have power in other um, avenues in society. This religion is more attractive to women on the whole because of the kind of power that it, it um, the power and self-determination that it provides, and the presence of the divine feminine, the revaluing of the feminine body and feminine characteristics that have been devalued by the dominant culture. But there, there, there are men who are witches, and I would say it's also very open to people who identify as non-binary. I think that makes a lot of sense. So it's a movement oriented towards gender justice, but with the specific focus on elevating the divine feminine. Yep. It seems like so many people these days are calling themselves witches. I remember when I worked at Teen Vogue, we had to commission a number of articles about witchcraft because teenagers were so interested in it. And on Instagram, I'm told there are over 5 million posts with the hashtag witches of Instagram. So a lot of these things are accompanied by a very familiar aesthetic which is a popularized image of what a modern witch may be. We're talking tarot cards, crystals, lots of black clothes. I wonder what you make of this popularization of witchcraft to a new generation into this particular moment in time. Hello, teenagers are some of the most disempowered people in society. So they've always been attracted to magic and the supernatural. Now let's bring in popular culture. A lot of the aesthetic that's associated with witches of Instagram and, you know, a lot of the uh, young people who are attracted to this stuff really comes from popular culture. 
television shows, including uh, new versions of television shows like Sabrina and Charmed, uh, that have kind of this goth aesthetic, right? So uh, young people reproduce that because it becomes a form of identity. I've also been struck by the ways in which witchcraft has been intertwined with religion and mainstream religion. So I'm Italian, you're Italian, and Catholicism seems to have drawn a lot from paganism in terms of its celebrations, costuming, the theatrics of Catholicism, the mysticism that surrounds a lot of Catholicism or its saints. It reminds me a lot of when I read about witchcraft. I don't know. It seems like they're more cousins than they are enemies. Do you have any thoughts on that? Catholicism was successful as a new religious movement because at least at the very beginning, it spread by co-opting customs rather than campaigning against them. I'm talking about 300, 400 AD, 500 AD. They didn't come in and slaughter anybody who didn't believe the way they did. They came in and they said, oh, you know, you're, you're worshiping um, at this deity's shrine. Well, let's build a church there. And instead of uh, celebrating, you know, the special day for this deity, let's go ahead and call this the Feast of Saint So-and-so. What we see in Roman Catholicism in particular is a lot of the structure of the Roman Empire and many of the same customs and traditions that people practiced in late antiquity, only with a very different belief system as the core. Well, Sabina, you've studied people who believe magic, who practice magic, and I'm just wondering, as we close, could I ask you if you believe in magic? And if you do, how do you define magic? I think, again, it depends on how you define it. Do I believe in magic the way it exists in Harry Potter books where you wave a wand and go, you know, Alahamora and something happens? No, magic doesn't work like that. Do I believe that magic is a set of techniques that people can learn, a discipline that people can learn to, as Dion Fortune defined it, change consciousness at will? Yes. If what you're trying to do is change your consciousness and the consciousness of people around you, then yes, absolutely. Uh, magic can work. But for magic to be effective in the real world, it has to be accompanied by real world actions. Well, Sabina, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time and all of the information that you offered. Thank you for a truly lovely conversation. Thank you, Philip. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Unholier Than Thou is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring can be challenging, but ZipRecruiter makes it fast and easy. One CEO, Ali, needed to hire for a multifaceted role at his wallpaper company, Walls Need Love. He was looking for someone who was the right fit for his team and culture, but his search was slow going. So he turned to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology identifies the right people for your job and actively invites them to apply, which is why you should try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com unholy. That's how Ali found Savannah Ray. Ali said Savannah's skills and experience were a great match for the role. Plus, she applied within a few days after he posted the job. Through ZipRecruiter, Ali has hired everyone from his head of marketing to his sales director to his lead graphic designer. But Ali's not the only employer who loves ZipRecruiter. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See for yourself how ZipRecruiter makes hiring faster and easier. Try it now for free. That's right, for free at ZipRecruiter.com unholy. That's ZipRecruiter.com U-N-H-O-L-Y. ZipRecruiter.com unholy. Unholier Than Thou is brought to you by Kitty Poo Club. 
If you guys follow me on Instagram, then I hope you know that I have two lovely cats named Freddie and Juniper. And as much as I love Freddie and Juniper, I cannot bring myself to change their litter box. In fact, I make my husband do it. And that's why my husband and I are both so excited that Kitty Poo Club is here. Kitty Poo Club is an all-in-one litter box solution designed to be convenient for you, even if you're like me and you hate changing a litter box. Every month, Kitty Poo Club delivers an affordable, high-quality, recyclable litter box that's pre-filled with the litter of your choice. The boxes are leak-proof, eco-friendly, and they have a fun design for every season. When the month is up, you just recycle the box, and Kitty Poo Club will automatically deliver a new one to you. No changing used litter and no more cleaning the box. You can customize your order based on how many cats you have and what type of litter you think they'd prefer. And Kitty Poo Club also has a no-risk guarantee, so you can easily customize or cancel your order anytime. And right now, Kitty Poo Club is offering you 20% off your first order when you set up AutoShip by going to kittypooclub.com and entering promo code UNHOLY. Just go to kittypooclub.com and enter promo code UNHOLY to get 20% off when you set up AutoShip. That's kittypooclub.com. And don't forget to enter promo code UNHOLY at checkout. Unholier Than Thou is brought to you by Blinkist. Let me tell you about one of the ultimate life hacks. Blinkist is really unique, and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Blinkist has the latest titles from bestsellers lists, as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read, but never had time to. I've listened to Becoming by Michelle Obama, and I can't recommend it enough. Especially for listeners of this podcast, there's a bunch of options from the religion and spirituality section, too. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com unholy to try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com unholy to start your free seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com unholy. So now that we understand a little bit more about witchcraft and its origins, I wanted to talk to someone who's been quite well known for using witchcraft to her advantage. Amanda Yates Garcia is a witch who became semi-famous after appearing on Fox News to discuss her plans for a binding spell against President Donald Trump. Amanda, thanks for your work and thanks for being here. It's my great pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I understand that your mother was a witch and a member of a moon coven. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if we can start um, going back to the beginning. Can you tell me what it was like to grow up with a witch and um, maybe a little bit about how you were initiated into the spiritual path? I think it feels very exotic for a lot of people, you know, especially most people are brought up like Christian or Catholic. Um, But, you know, just like any kid, like I thought it was something that, you know, my mom did. And I wasn't that interested in it really when I was a kid. I was just like, okay, my mom, you know, meets with her coven once a month on the full moons. And she (laughs) celebrated the pagan holidays, the Wheel of the Year. There are eight major holidays in the pagan traditions in most of them. Um, And I celebrated them and I enjoyed them. But it really wasn't until I kind of started to come into my own power in my late teens and early 20s that I started to reconnect with the practice. 
I did have an initiation ceremony when I was 13, and that's when all the women who formed my mother's coven came over and, you know, we did chanting and you brush your cheeks with roses. It's called the Rite of Roses. And you have a cord that ties, a red cord that you tie from your own waist or wrist to your mother's. And then you say the name of the women in your lineage back as far as you can remember. And then you cut the cord. And oftentimes it'll involve getting a new and sacred name or any number of symbols of empowerment and separation and coming into your own uh, womanhood or witchhood, as as they might say. Let's actually dig into that a little bit, because I understand that the witchcraft path that you follow is called the West Coast tradition of reclaiming. So can you tell me what that means? So that tradition is based on what's called fairy magic, which is spelled F-E-R-I, and also the folk traditions of the Appalachia, so Appalachian folk magic. And it was also influenced, of course, by the Order of the Golden Dawn, which is a which is a British mid-century tradition. Um, it, witchcraft is essentially syncretic, so it's drawing on a bunch of different practices. And of course, California has its own um, spiritual lineage and legacy. It's not following the rules of religion as maybe I know it. And so it's challenging, right? But I'm wondering, is this path or the West Coast tradition of reclaiming, does it hinge on something? Is there a central element of the faith? So I can speak to what witchcraft means to me. Okay. Witchcraft recognizes and honors the sacred in nature. It's a it's an earth-based religion. It recognizes the practitioner as part of nature, so not separate from nature. We can't really talk about that in our language because English necessarily separates um, human beings from nature, but witches don't see a separation. Also, witches see themselves as co-creators with what you might call the anima mundi, which is the life force of the world or the universe, right? So it's not just like they are subject to the forces of the universe or subject to the forces of the anima mundi, the world soul, but are in fact working in concert or co-creation with it. I see witches as actively working towards justice for all beings, especially those who've been most impacted by capitalism and colonialist violence. I also think a witch is someone who takes responsibility for her own power and for her own authority and she shares that power with others she's working to empower her community and then of course you know one of the things that's often said about witchcraft is that witchcraft is a practice it's not a belief system so Mm. but most importantly I feel like a witch's purpose certainly my purpose is to re-enchant the world in other words, mm. um, to make the world sacred again through her actions, words, deeds, and practices. Right. Can you tell me a little bit what reenchanting the world looks like? Like, what does your, how do you, how do you practice? Through the history of white supremacist, capitalist, colonialism, patriarchy um, over the past several thousand years, but certainly since the medieval period and the industrial revolutions, we've seen that the world has been undergoing this process of disenchantment, which is to say that under capitalism, all relationship to the land and relationships between people are essentially severed. And that relationship is is created through ownership. And if you own it, then you can do what you want with it. In other words, 
the world is no longer sacred. Places are no longer sacred. Relationships are no longer sacred. People, animals, plants, none of this is sacred, and therefore it's all available for exploitation. So a witch's practice is to re-enchant the world, is to make the world sacred again. And for me, as a person who is white and is a, is a settler on this land, Tongva land, which is where I'm living, what I'm trying to do is find ways to work in relationship and harmony and connection with the land that I live on while still honoring that it isn't my land, that I'm a settler on this land. And um, I'm trying to reconnect or reclaim, as the Reclaiming Collective would talk about, um, my connection to my own traditions and ancestral lineages while also recognizing and honoring that I, you know, I'm seventh generation Californian. I'm not from that place anymore. And in fact, those practices, those um, storylines are, have been really destroyed. We don't really know what they were. Um, so it's, yeah, it's really about reclaiming power, reclaiming connection, reclaiming a solidarity with other mm. beings who are working towards liberation on this planet. You're a professional witch. I am, um, yeah. So can you tell me what kinds of things people come to seek you for? Yeah, so I have uh, a, I have three main kinds of sessions that I do. I do divination sessions where I use tarot and sometimes runes and um, intuitive mediumship to help people connect to their own intuition and access uh, the part of themselves that already knows the answer, essentially what they're doing or what they're coming to me for in that situation is clarity on whatever issue that they're working on. And then I also do ritual sessions or spell sh sessions. And that's for when people have like a specific thing that they're working on or that they want to achieve. And then we're doing which ritual around that. So that could be anything from, you know, wanting to, uh, get a new job or wanting to let go of an old lover or wanting to call new love in or connect to their ancestors or uh, let go of blocks that they have around abundance, for instance. Um, so all of that is stuff that we could work through ritually. And I also do healing sessions. So those are working mostly energetically and I use breath and trance and other forms of energy work to help people really tune into their bodies and to also help people increase their capacity for aliveness. It's usually best if you can before you come in for your appointment to take a week off from upsetting or disturbing things that interfere with your own thought processes and energies. So for instance, like don't watch a lot of violent movies, like try and kind of keep away from the news or other upsetting things. You really want to kind of let the dust and the like um, vitriol inside yourself kind of settle down so we can get a clearer picture of what's really going on for you organically when you're not being completely influenced or harassed mm -hmm. by the rest of the world. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you're planning to do internal work, you shut out the external for a little bit to get in touch with yourself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm wondering if there's anything that magic can't cure or heal in these sessions. So, you know, when people come to me or any other witch, 
because, um, for instance, let's say they're struggling financially. That's not just their problem. Like, that's not just a problem that we can solve on an individual level. Because the reason that people are struggling financially or that they can't pay their rent or that they can't afford health insurance is a political and systemic issue. Similarly, you know, if someone is depressed, let's say a person of color comes to me and they're depressed and they feel vulnerable or they feel like they're having difficulty getting ahead, you know, that's not just a personal problem that they or we could solve through meditation or ritual. That takes all of us working collectively to change the systems in which we live. But I think that we have to hold our actions, you know, hold our our intentions in both hands. On one hand, we have to work collectively in order to change the system so that all beings can thrive, particularly people, Black and Indigenous people of color and the, the natural world. And on the other hand, we do have power within our lives and we do have agency within our lives. And we can, there are a lot of things that we can change through magic and ritual and um, through breath and through trance. There, there are a lot of ways that we can find power. There are a lot of ways that we can find ourselves, that we can connect to who we truly are authentically and what we're supposed to be doing here and what our work is here in this world. An interesting way that that kind of manifested itself was, um, and, and what I mean by that is the political element of what you're talking about, but also the the idea of the empowerment of action and, and encouraging people to take an investment in their own power that they're, that is intrinsic within them was about, you know, the binding spells that were placed on President Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know that in 2017, you went on Fox News uh, to talk more about this. I'm wondering if you feel like that's a really good example of how magic built community, but also encouraged this idea of empowerment, but that that wasn't just where magic stopped, right? That magic had to also be accompanied by um, an investment in in our political futures, which require civic action as well. We're essentially taking what is in our imagination, what is in our hearts and minds, which is something that we can't see unless it comes out like unless we we create a physical representation of it and we're doing it collectively right so we're all doing this together and saying this is what is important to us what's important to us is that we stop this person and his administration from harming and destroying the things that we love and we're all going to come out collectively and say our intention is to to stop this from happening and so then we're all talking about it. So we can't really say, oh, that doesn't have an effect. It does have an effect because when we come out as, you know, when we come out and say that we are resisting, that matters. And what ritual does, what ceremony does is make manifest our systems of belief. And it, and by doing it, we create it, right? So it's it's something that's, it's a fiat. It's making it happen as we do it. And that is exactly why the powers that be, for instance, um, colonialist powers, immediately make it so that the, the people who they're colonizing can't practice their traditional practices. 
because those practices are so powerful in creating a communal identity. And they're so powerful in keeping people's spirits alive. They're trying to take your magic away. Exactly. Exactly. I'm wondering on on that note, um, and as we bring this conversation to a close, I know it seems impossible. I'm just wondering how you personally define magic. I feel like magic, it's like a dive into the mysterious force of being where you dance with it and move with it and work with it. It's kind of like an entering into a mythopoetic space in your life, which I never want to leave. Amanda, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. One of the things that should be clear by now from both Amanda and Sabina is that witchcraft has serious ties to counterculture and to fighting the patriarchy. But that doesn't necessarily mean that witchcraft is exempt from the same pitfalls of patriarchy or white supremacy that are so well-known in other major religions. La Loba Loca, a queer educator and herbalist, has built a practice that encourages new witches and healers to think critically about everything from the land they live on to the herbs or ingredients sourced for their magic. As witchcraft has grown more and more popular on, say, Instagram, Loba has been a force fighting against appropriation and rallying witches to join the fight for racial justice. Loba, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So can you tell me a little bit about your journey to becoming a witch? When were you first introduced to the practice? When I first started to identify as a witch was when I started to learn more and more about the actual origins of the word witch and like what that means also for me as somebody coming from uh, from from what now is considered Peru um, to be called a witch. Like in Spanish, we say bruja uh, and the connotation that bruja has in my community and specifically my family is very much negative, right? It's very much associated mm. to like anti-Catholicism um, and just kind of, you know, being a pagan and just uh, doing all of these things that are considered to be, you know, like non-Catholic. Um, yes, I was raised Catholic, and that is also my experience mm-hmm. of of understanding yeah. witches and the word witch. I started learning more about it, and I was like, "Wow, so we're talking about." when the Spaniards first started um, kind of like taking over uh, what is now considered South America, they would name witches uh, specifically like indigenous women and black women, Afro-indigenous women that practice their own traditional medicine and their own traditional religion, right? So those were the witches. Uh, In a way, like the people that were um, directly... um, kind of like resisting colonization, resisting, um, you know, this imposed Catholicism. Um, Also the people that were, you know, quote unquote, um, uh, sodomites or like the people that were transvestites, right? The ones that were seen by the eyes of the colonizer as kind of... um, breaking you know the the gender roles and breaking the the heterosexual regime like those people were also considered to be witches Mm -hmm, exactly okay okay (laughs) also these people that were kind of like 
outside of the confines. I feel like to me, that's when I started identifying as a witch, when I started to learn more about kind of like the political resistance behind that word, uh, that it wasn't just something, you know, it wasn't just something like, oh, I have a rose quartz or I'm burning white sage, right? Because that's also super problematic too, you know? So you found like witch was a a way uh, for you to not just have a spiritual proclamation, but also a political reclamation. Mm-hmm. And, and, and is is witchcraft in your, I guess, in your ancestry? Is it in your is it in your lineage, or is this mm-hmm. something that you discovered that maybe your Catholic family was horrified to find out that you discovered? A lot of our grandparents carry a lot of Andean tradition, like traditional tradition to the area, uh, which would be considered witchcraft. Tell me about these practices. There's just so some of the things that my family continues to do, for for example, is um, there is this tradition called Pagos a la Tierra or payment to the earth, which is a specifically tradition to like the Andean region in which like we we basically feed the earth. Right. So um, one of my uh, one of my uncles is very much uh, somebody that it's a practitioner. So he goes around Peru and he actually does this uh, specific ritual for people. Um, there is also like, you know, coca reading, like you read the actual coca leaf. It's, it's sacred for us. Um, mm-hmm. and the coca leaf, we use it to kind of read the future, read the past to talk to earth in a way. So it's considered to be like the plant that we use to talk to earth, you know, even the coca plant at some point, um, during the conquista, during, you know, the, the, the first stage of, of the conquest of our territories, the coca plant was made illegal because it was considered to be like the devil plant, um, because mm-hmm. it was such a, it's such a nutritive and such an energizing and such a important plant for, um, for our spirituality. So I think that definitely my family has a lot of like healing traditions, a lot of like traditional um, like beliefs and, and customs from our area of the world, but they're very Catholic. I understand. You know, it's it's like looked at as some some sort of complement to their Catholicism. They don't necessarily look at it as as a betrayal of, of their Catholicism, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a complicated legacy of, of colonialism, I think. Yeah, definitely. Or you've taken it upon yourself to lead the charge in terms of educating people about the real history of who these women who were burned um, by the colonizers were. Can you tell me more about them? You know how um, a lot of times people forget about kind of like the political history behind the witch hunts or people kind of just think about witch as this um this cute hashtag, but they don't realize when we're talking about witches and we're talking about witch hunts, we're also talking about rape. Uh, We're also talking about, um, you know, people literally being hunted down. We're talking about like sexual assault. We're talking about uh, like racism. The goal is to really kind of like get people thinking more about the politics behind the witch hunts and like, what is it that we're doing? You know, medicinal plants in our homes. Like, how can we do that without hurting people and hurting the environment so for instance like white sage has become one of those plants that people have been using and taking pictures of and i think that lately in the past couple of years there's been a lot more information around why we have to stop using white sage but you know that's that's a huge issue that like directly affects like native californian folks or native folks that have been working with that plant traditionally that can't even access the plant when they go up into the mountains because these white sages are being wildcrafted in ways that are literally killing them. Right. So so what you're saying is um, indigenous people use white sage as a part of their religious rites and ceremonies. Yeah. And essentially 
the mainstreaming of like burning sage in your apartment to clear out bad energy has led to the over harvesting of this plant, which means that the very people who made it um, and, and who the very people who need it can now not access it. Is that accurate? Yes, exactly. Okay. And that's happening. Yeah. And that's happening a lot with just herbalism in general. Right. So I'm also an herbalist. And that's something that we talk a lot about, too, because there is this one plant that becomes like the it plant that everybody wants to get access to. Like ayahuasca, for instance, another great example uh, in that we like I think people don't really understand like how we are living in relation. Right. So like if we go out there and try to like, you know, use up all of this plant, then the people who whose birthright is to use that plant, right? Because they have been having a connection with that plant for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, can't even access it. Is that healing? Is that witchcraft? Or is that just appropriation, you know? Absolutely. But in the case of ayahuasca, I feel like it's complicated because people love ayahuasca and people love doing ayahuasca. And I think that a lot of that comes from just the advertisement that has been you know, that, that, that is around ayahuasca when there are so many other ways that we can connect to plant medicine. Like, I mean, you know, I'm not saying go do shrooms, but also go do shrooms. Like, I feel like right. shrooms are, I mean, yeah. it seems pretty logical and also a yeah. lot less of a commitment, no? So I feel like there are so many ways that people can really experience healing and deep healing without, um, you know, without appropriating or without causing harm to communities and to the environment. One thing I, I learned about you and in, in your practice is that um, you have clients who come to you for healing. So I'm wondering what kinds of things you encounter and what kinds of things you can help with. So I think that I've, I mean, so many things. I tattoo sometimes. I do specific like stick and poke. I do a lot of um, like womb related care. Um, but I feel like the, the last couple of years I've been kind of focusing more on education, just like teaching folks how to do these things uh, instead of having folks come to me. So usually people come to me, I mean, now because of COVID, it's all online, but, um, you know, through like consultations to talk about these topics, a lot of folks sometimes have a hard time understanding like, you know, what cultural appropriation is. So like, I, you know, I get to talk to them about it. So I feel like a lot of or like the healing work that I'm doing is very much like political in a way, just kind of like making folks understand, um, you know, like alternatives to, to, to a specific plan that is in danger or like, you know, why it's not okay for us to be uh, just, you know, taking over other people's like cultural and like traditional medicines. My focus has been more and more on like really just disseminating the information. So in your practice, I understand is overwhelmingly comprised of queer, trans uh, and gender nonconforming people of color or indigenous mm -hmm. folks. Um, can you tell me why it's important for you to make that distinction with who you are extending your healing to? Mm -hmm. Well, I think I'm, I'm not necessarily... So, I mean, of course, for like, you know, the, the, the free medicine that I make for me is very important to like focus specifically on, on POC. Um, but for just for the, for the services that I offer, I, I do get a lot of, you know, white herbalists or like white healers that are interested in figuring out how to like move in the world, you know, how to like relearn and how to, uh, show up in like the healing world. Um, so I think it just, I think it depends. I just, I make sure, I just make sure to always mention that because there is such yeah. a need for like specific care when it comes to queer and trans people. And then like sure. a very specific need for like queer and trans, you know, people of color. Right. So I think right. that, in, and in the healing world, I think it tends to be 
it's it's been changing the last couple of years, but it used to be very, very white, very, very cis and very, very hetero. Are you feeling like anyone who is asking questions and investigating and exploring their identity and exploring witchcraft, are you feeling like all of that is net positive or do you have specific pieces of advice or, or areas of wisdom that you would like them to heed? I feel like definitely having like a strong foundation on like, you know, structures of power, uh, power structures, like how to break them down uh, for folks to really kind of like go deep into studying like where the witch hunts come from. Right. So even if folks are focusing just on Europe, just read up. And if you are from other areas of the world, like also see if you can find and I'm sure you can find stories of um, you know witches in your own community so like the way that I learned that there were witches in my own community is because my grandma actually told me she you know one day she just I was talking to her about witches and then she looked at me and she's like oh I saw a witch being burnt when I was 10 years old and I was like what and then she started wow. telling me yeah she told me about it and I was like oh my god I cannot believe that in my head I had only pictured the witch hunts happening in Europe or in, you know, what is now considered the U.S. Such a painful history. So I think that it's really important for folks to read up on that, you know, and to really kind of realize the ways that, um, you know, like all of this like systemic nonsense that we're dealing with right now is very much part of like the witch hunts and very much part of that history, you know, and to really kind of like understand also like politically where, where are you at? Um, like in what ways are you supporting folks that are being like, directly impacted by systemic racism, by, you know, by homelessness, you know, like folks that don't have access to medicine, you know, how are you supporting sure. folks that are doing all that really beautiful work to upkeep the world, you know, to keep the world rolling. So I feel like that would be my main piece of advice. advice. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like this current um, sociopolitical moment that, you know, we are all living in together do you feel like it's also forced um, witchcraft to face its own reckoning at this point? Yeah, definitely. I think that, I mean, something that I find super beautiful is that when, you know, when the uprising was happening, for instance, a lot of non-Black herbalists starting offering up free medicine for Black folks. This last couple of months have been a mess, but something that I've been seeing that I think it's beautiful is the ways in which people have been showing up and specifically, you know, like herbalists, healers, uh, you know, witches, people are just kind of like uh, doing tarot sessions for free for, you know, for black folks or for indigenous folks or for POC people that are, um, like, you know, making care packages for unhoused people or like people that are going through uh, COVID or that tested COVID positive. So like just seeing kind of that mutual aid, um, be something that people are talking about like the supporting each other like without necessarily waiting for the government to do anything for us because we all know that the government is not going to do anything for us specifically for people that are impacted um uh, by you know by just systemic terror um right. but just seeing that you know just like the mutual aid that has been created and the ways in which healers and herbalists um and you know massage therapists and witches and all of these like beautiful folks are using like their magic to either like you know, like give healing to folks or to fundraise for folks. I think it's it's beautiful. Lova, I have just one more question for you. I would love to ask you how we can all tap into our own magic the same way that you did. For me, it has been through stories, like stories that my that my grandmothers would tell me about family members or about their own lives or about um, you know what they were interested on when they were younger, uh, and then being able to kind of like from there um like through that foundation get into gardening and get into 
uh, you know, taking care of plants. I honestly think that I have found so much like magic and also just, I think I've seen so much magic in like the natural world that um, at least for me, that's, that's kind of how I've been able to kind of like funnel magic and, and learn about my own magic. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much um, for taking the time to chat with us and to sharing your magic with us. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. All right. That's all for our show today. If you liked what you hear, please subscribe, leave a review, give us five stars, or I'll put a spell on you. Just kidding. Or am I? Have a happy Halloween, y'all. We'll see you next week. Unholier Than Now is a Crooked Media production. Brian Semmel is our associate producer and Sydney Rapp is our assistant producer with production support from Ruben Davis. The theme song is by Taka Yasuzawa and the show is executive produced by me, Lyra Smith, and Sarah Geismer. Thanks for listening.